Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. weekend here in Vegas as we saw a dismantling with Terrence Crawford over Earl Spence Jr. I'm going to say it. As predicted, another dinner chalked up. Oh, guess what? The recipient or the guy that has to pay up is not Marco D'Angelo. That should be some breaking news. There you go. Marco, what's going on, man? I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> I would call it more of a manic Monday if you have seen the five minutes before the show. This is live radio, brother. This is live radio. That's what you get. All right. The champ's coming in the house today, too. Showtime Sean Porter. He'll be joining us, the two-time welterweight world champion, the uh, retired you know, champion right now. And uh want to have... Showtime on because remember he was the guy that fought both Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence Jr. Uh, and I uh, thought we'd get him on the recap day today. So uh, he'll be joining us here momentarily and get uh, Showtime Sean P's thoughts on the fight. Sam Gordon will join us a little bit later on the show. We'll get his take as well too. Uh, there being in T-Mobile Arena and a crazy scene that it was. Over 18,000 fans uh, watching the dismantling that took place as Terrence Crawford destroyed Earl Spence Jr. Ninth round, TKO, one-sided, pure domination, total beatdown, and uh, this actually served as the official coronation of the best welterweight in the world and the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Terrence Crawford now improves to 40-0 and with 31 knockouts. And he became the first fighter to capture the undisputed championship in two different weight classes since the uh, four-bill era began in 1988. So uh, we'll talk a lot about that today. The Aces victorious once again. And uh, they took care of business against the uh, Dallas Wings yesterday. We'll, we'll dive into uh, that as well, too. 
plus NFL training camp and more. Marco D'Angelo in the house, our bookend Monday and Friday guy. What is happening, my friend? And it was good to see you at the Aces game yesterday at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Another sellout for the Aces. Uh, it's getting to be an event. Uh, a little busy there yesterday at the, the uh, arena because we also had soccer in town yesterday. What a sports town. I mean, you talk about everything that went on the weekend. You know, you had soccer yesterday. You had the big fight on Saturday night. Uh, the strip was a buzz, and uh, it's good time to be in Vegas. Other than if you like being frying in 115 degrees, <laughs> <laughs> should you be used to it though by now? You know, I mean, come on. I have not gotten used to the month of July in mm. Vegas, and I've been here since 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us just, you know. We relish the heat. We revel in the heat because we know what it could be on the other side, as you do. For your days in Pittsburgh, my days in Wisconsin, you know, it could, it could be the brutal side. So enjoy this. 90 degrees back east with humidity. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a big difference, but please don't say it's a dry heat and just wash that away because <laughs> it's not. It's a convection oven. Okay. That's dry heat. <laughs> All right. Um, We'll get into the fight. We'll get into the aces today. We'll get into training camp, some uh, college uh, football news, uh, a lot uh, to touch on, you know, today during the course uh, of the show. But uh, again, uh, a lot to, to uh, diagnose here, as I like to say, a championship weekend here in Vegas, because not only did we have the championship fight, of course, uh, with Terrence Crawford, but uh, the defending champs and look like they're going to be the current champs again here with the Aces defeat Dallas 104-91 where they avenged uh, their last loss. Uh, whereas 20, they are now improved to 23-2. and They win seven in a row. And like you said, you know, Marco, uh, 10,213 in the building with that. So we'll, we will dive into that uh, a little bit later on. And also... Uh, even give you a little audio from Becky Hammond as well, too. But we start the show talking about what transpired at T-Mobile Arena on Saturday night. And uh, the guy who knows both of these fighters better than anyone. And I've been saying that for weeks. I think I said it the last time that he was actually in here with us because we were all anticipating this fight. And I say that, and it's true, because he fought both fighters, knew him very, very well. And he joins us now, my man. Welterweight champ, Showtime Sean Porter, in the house. What's going on, my man? That was a wow moment, huh? That was a wow moment. That was an amazing moment, huh? That Just that one moment? Or which moment? The, the whole fight, man. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I mean, from one side, obviously. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what can you do? I mean, what do you want to talk about? All right, I'll tell you what I want to talk about. about. <laughs> okay, here's what I want to talk about. Okay, I want to go back. Because I wanted to, to touch base with you last week, and I know you were busy going crazy, but here's what I wanted to, to ask you, first of all, before the fight. Let's go back, okay? Let's okay. pretend the like... The fight never happened. Right, exactly. All right, all people, right. the fight never there happened. There you go. You face both guys. We're going to turn back the, the time machine, you know, 72 hours. That was the worst part of my life, by the way. It was, it was like, it was a good part, but it was the, it was the worst part because every, you fought them both. I know. What do you think's going to happen? That fight didn't look like anything. I know. Like, Either fight. Like, that fight the other night didn't look like my fight with Terrence or my fight with Errol. Right. And so I kept saying this is 50-50. I don't know who's going to win. Styles make fights. Neither of them fight like me. Mm. I mean, the list goes on. But everybody, who's got the best, most power? I don't know. You don't feel it in the moment. Who's the fastest? I mean, they both, they don't fight with a lot of speed. But, you know, who's this and who's that? I'm like, it's going to be, it wasn't 50-50. So that's what I want to know. So what were you 
thinking, feeling, telling everybody about leading up to the fight? Since you've been in the ring with both guys and you know them very, very well, what was your take going into the fight? Going into the fight, I expected the first round to last about three more rounds. The first round wasn't, there wasn't much action. I think maybe a, a, a total of three to five punches landed by each of them. I had Spence win that first fight, that first round because he was moving forward, but I did see something in that first round. I saw that Terrence literally, literally was just allowing Spence to start that forward movement and because he knew that was what it was going to be all night. If I let him feel comfortable doing this, he comes out in the second round comfortable doing it and he, and he, he gets caught and he gets put down. Once he gets put down, I'm like, I didn't expect that this soon in the fight. Right. You, cause Crawford is a slow starter. And, and I was talking about that all last week saying you got to be careful here about him giving away rounds. Well, here's one, one thing that I said on my podcast. Again, styles make fights. Right. I didn't think he was going to start slow because I didn't think Arrow would allow him to start okay. slow. And this is what I said. Terrence Crawford, he doesn't exactly fight to the level of his competition, but if you allow him to start slow, yeah, he'll start slow, but he will do whatever he needs to do to make the fight what he wants it to be, which is exactly what he did. Okay, so now round two, he comes with a knockdown. Crawford comes with a knockdown, and all of a sudden, boom, that was it. That was the game changer because I know one judge gave the first round to Crawford. The other yeah. two judges gave it to Spence. Uh, those watching there kind of said, okay, like you said, not much happened. Okay, give it to Spence. You can make the case, right, that Crawford pitched a shutout and won Absolutely. every round. Absolutely, but, you can. But when you saw the knockdown around two, which was, whoa, the fight changed. Mentally, in Spence's mind, too, it was like, whoa, he was never the same guy. When I came out t- uh, to the ring, when I fought uh, Crawford, it was it was fun. It was great. I had this thing set up. It was awesome. When the music cuts to him and he walks out, I I could feel the crowd. I'm like, damn, there's a lot of people here for him. Yeah. Like, I thought I had more love than this. <laughs> I thought, like, between the podcast and what I've been doing on Fox and all that, I was like, I thought that I would have more love. I told you, man, you haven't fought enough in <laughs> Vegas. You needed 10 more fights. You should have been fighting in Vegas the whole time ever since you moved here, but that's another question. But I could feel when the, when, when, in that, when he came out, I could feel that this is a, a pro Terrence Crawford crowd. The fight ends up being how it was. And I think that it was, they were, became 50 50 based on how the fight was going. Yeah. When he got knocked down and even before he got knocked down, when he come, when, when, when that entrance that Terrence had, you could hear this is a pro bud crowd, but that knockdown. He couldn't feel and he couldn't get past that knockdown, but it was, I think it was because of the crowd. I don't think it was because he was just shook up from getting knocked down for the first time, anything like that. I think that between getting up, going back to the corner, you're supposed to just oppose that walk of shame and all that kind of stuff. You're supposed to be able to sit down, receive the information, move on past it. He moved past it, I'm sure, but that crowd pulled him right back into that moment of being on the canvas and then he never got past that so to be fair i mean just like when you fought crawford crawford has fought i don't want to say majority of his fights but he fought a lot of fights being under bob airman top rank we've seen him here in vegas a lot yeah and you know i always felt that this was kind of a bi-coastal type of fight even though that spence is from dallas texas Mm -hmm. and he's fought you know with jerry jones and the guy he's fought in texas and dallas and other areas and back east but not much here so i I argued everybody people are saying that Terrence Crawford can't win in Vegas. It's a it's a PBC car. I said no 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 no. This, this is like his home court. I said 
said, pay attention. Yeah. He's fought more here than, than Errol Spence has, which means psychologically, these judges are conditioned to mm-hmm. seeing him, yes. seeing him move, seeing him read and react and things like that. And then when you realize that everybody traveled for this fight and a lot of Bud Crawford fans were in the stands, it, this was, it was, but territory, like yeah. you know, on fight night. Yeah, it was, it was Omaha West, basically. It was. Right? It was crazy. <laughs> Terrence Crawford, uh, phenomenal. Why do you think he was so dominant? Because you can't do what Errol Spence tried to do. Um, everyone was saying if you went at Terrence Crawford the way you went at Errol Spence Jr., you would have beat him. And I told everybody, Styles make fights. That's not how you beat Terrence Crawford. You can see that the fight that I had with him was relatively close all the way until the end. You have to outthink him. You have to outsmart him. And you have to fight, keep him thinking. Keep him off balance. And that's what I was able to do. It's, you can't be aggressive against a true counterpuncher, uh, the way that, that, that Terrence is. You know, he, 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 he is a mastermind at finding that range and that distance. Uh, he took away, uh, Errol Spence's jab coming out southpaw and then when they exchanged jabs he was able to sneak his in that timing and that rhythm he knew where exactly where it was he found it from the opening bell i thought and i thought that that was how he was he managed his fight and was able to do exactly what he did to arrow arrow never figured out the range and the distance mm-hmm. and the and the um the rhythm of that fight you can't just go at tennis crawford and they will be better in the rematch as you were watching the fight, what were your thoughts? And take us through kind of round by round. Okay, you didn't so watch we talked. We we no, I'm, I'm I, I do radio, man. Pick so, up my Twitter no, no, now. Yeah, okay. so let's read it. You we talked about. We, we, if you, <laughs> no, 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 go. I'm I, sorry, I, but you're right. You're, you're right because yeah, I know you're doing no, round by it. round. No, just no, no, like no, I normally. Come on, come on. But we talked about. Okay, we talked about the pre-fight. We talked yeah. about round one. We talked about what happened in round two. Yeah. Okay. Now I want your mind. Okay. Tell as you're watching. Three, four, five, six. At what point did you say this thing's over? Uh, I said this thing is over at the in the seventh round. Okay. So after the second round, I said, "Hey, it's it's all good. Watch for a big adjustment." And I also want to go back real quick before the fight happened. I said, "There's going to be about three adjustments in this fight, maybe even four. And I think collectively there may have been three or four in this fight. The adjustment. And I'll just real quick. The first adjustment. You see, Terrence." mostly retreating in the first round and it was really just to get arrow moving into you know having that forward motion after that the adjustment became establish that range and start letting them go establish that range and start letting them go that's what that's the first adjustment and then the second adjustment after the knockdown you see arrow in that third round earmuffs a lot like he and tried to do with ugas but he didn't have that same steam train rolling like he did against Ugas after that that big moment that Ugas had in that fight. And I think that that was a big mistake of his. I thought that he needed to put those hands up and he needed to really just impose his will on 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 Terrence. But that was the second adjustment. Uh Terrence adjusted to that, kept moving, kept doing what he had to do. And and then um there was maybe one other adjustment in that fight. But other than that, it was just a, a matter of Terrence understanding if I take away this man's jab, that's where everything starts for him. And you really he can't get get going if he doesn't touch you with the jab, you know? And so that man that that was amazing to me. But along the way I kept saying, let's wait for it. Let's wait for it because I thought the arrow very strong mentally very strong obviously physically and i thought that they would be able to make some adjustments in the corner but they never were and i didn't really let it go until about the seventh round that's when i was like all right this this thing's over uh humble pie let's eat it let's throw in that towel and let's get him out of here get him safe 
to his family and really think about, you know, what you're going to do in this rematch. Mm-hmm. Showtime Sean Porter in the house with us talking about Saturday night's fight, the domination by Terrence Crawford over Earl Spence Jr. Like we've talked about, you've fought both of those guys in two very close fights. Yeah. <laughs> you said, I know last week or so, a couple weeks ago, that you never went back to watch the the fights that you fought each one of those guys. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, yeah. Um, I was at both the one in LA, the one in, uh, when you fought Spence. And then of course the one here, um, with, against, uh, Spence just recently. So did you go back and actually watch it as yeah. last week? Like you talked about that you were maybe going to do. We, uh, we did. Uh, and how my, was that my, for you? And, and as let's back it up. Why is it one of those things that you just, you want to put in the rear view mirror? Is that what you do as a fighter? No. And I've, I've made this very clear. I never liked watching myself. Um, you wouldn't even rewatch the victories. I've never rewatched, or, and I never say never. Um, I I do remember when we were getting ready. To, we were getting ready for Keith Thurman, yeah. and Showtime is you know they want to do this sit down with my dad and I. And they want me to re re rewatch a fight, and so I rewatched the uh, the fight with Kell Brook. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I really outside of like uh, highlights on social media, I just never like watching myself. So we went back and watched my, 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 uh, my co-host and I, we watched the, rewatched both fights at one after the other, Spence and then Crawford. I scored the Spence fight a draw. Even with the knockdown, I scored that fight a draw. That knockdown doesn't happen. I win that fight. Obviously we, we have to be realistic about how the fight would end without those knockdowns, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, the fight with, with, uh, with Crawford, I had myself winning that fight six, three before the stoppage. And, I really, when I watch the fight, and I say this multiple times, by the way, on the Portaway podcast on the YouTube channel, you can see me do a narrative. Yeah. Uh, I comment, commentated, uh, both those fights. And so you could see what I really think about and what I was thinking in the moment, whatever, whatever. But, um, I kept thinking to myself, shaking my head, like there were so many moments that I could have been aggressive against Terrence Crawford. But, <laughs> But I knew that just going at him that way would be reckless and it wouldn't, it would, it would play into the rhythm that he fights at. Yeah. He wants you to come at him. He wants you to leave yourself open. He wants to be able to see where those openings are and then he takes advantage of them. And so I wasn't willing to do that, you know, all the way up until that, that ninth round or that tenth round where I got a little loose and, you know, yeah. happened. Yeah. You've been away from it as far as an active fighter in the ring. And then when you see a fight like this where both guys that you fought, and you fought so well. And like yeah. you said, Nero, honestly, do you do you get kind of get that juice again to saying like, man, Absolutely especially not. especially when you no. see the way Spence got beat down and you and like you said, I I, I said the same thing. Sean Porter stands up everybody in that, in that ninth round. Yeah. You win the fight. Everybody says uh they want to see me back in the ring now because of the way that that fight transpired. I, Here's the thing. I'm I'm an advocate for boxing now. I'm like literally traveling the world just trying to And I love your answer too when you say absolutely not. I I'm just that. trying to pull the boxing world and yes. put it in spaces that I feel it needs to be in, spaces that it hasn't been in a long time. And but here's the bottom line. I literally watched that fight as a fan. Yeah. I also watched that fight as a commentator. I was very, very salty that I wasn't ringside commentating that fight. Yeah. So I had Stephen A. Smith up 
to my left a little bit. I had a Dame, uh, uh, Dame Lillard, Lillard right behind me. And then I had Michael Irvin. He was a couple rows ahead yeah. of me. And so, and he was, his energy was so high. I said, I'm not going to say anything to him, but I literally, after each round was kind of analyzing the fight with those guys yeah. and it allowed me to kind of get sure. out that energy that I would have. But bottom line, man, I watched it as a fan. Mm-hmm. And I did not watch it with any regrets. And I did not watch it thinking to myself, oh, uh, see this, see that about me. This, not about right. me whatsoever. If people did not call me for interviews and stuff like that before this fight, I would not, I would not have shed a tear because I, I want who's doing it now. Right. I want you guys to do it. You know what I mean? So, but when you take a look, look at the way it happened, you can think a couple of things about myself. You can say, Hey, Sean's smarter than we thought he was. You can say Sean's more courageous than we knew he was. Um, there's a, a lot of things you can say about me now because of the way that this fight played out. So do you chalk this up that it was maybe just a bad night for Errol? And, or do you say, no, if this rematch happens, it's the same result is going to take place. I, 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 I look at more of a, um, Wilder Fury three situation coming where Wilder did perform much better in that third fight. Um, and that's what I expect from Arrow. I don't, I don't expect the same, the exact same outcome as that trilogy fight, but I do think that, um, it's a long way from the lip to the cup for in order for Arrow to beat Terrence. I'm an advocate for the rematch. I think the av- the rematch should happen. I like it at 154. I'm on record for saying this first fight was going to happen at 54. A little bit wrong. But I think that they just were chasing the greatness and they were chasing the history books. And that's why they did it at 47. The rematch will happen at 54. I think it's going to be better or more competitive than this first fight. Um, and I think that when you have a chance to, you've seen it live and in person. Now you can actually go back and, you know, be able to really make those adjustments mentally. Arrow will be stronger for the second fight. Now we know there was a rematch clause in there, no matter what. So the loser would have the opportunity to exercise that within 30 days to, to do that. And, but okay, say now if you're Terrence Bud Crawford and Spence says, okay, yeah, I, I, I want the rematch, but I want it at 154. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong with this, I don't know if you know this or not, but that fight would have to take place at either back at 147 or an agreeable weight by both fighters. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so if you're Terrence Crawford, been in the king, you know, he's king of 140, king of 147. We know Spence wants to to fight at 154. Yeah. If you're Crawford, do you go up to 154? Do you say, hey, man, let me stay at 47, at least for a couple more fights? I think... from a business standpoint, I think the best in the best interest of Crawford is to either stay at 47 and um well if he stays at 47 and he doesn't take the rematch does that mean he's going to have to vacate the belts? You know how does that work from a contract? Well, he has the belts at 47, so he he yeah, just defended against somebody else. But he ha- but if the rematch clause is is, is activated yeah. and there he's not going to go up to 54 for that fight, he's like, "Hey, it has to happen at 47." Does, does Errol move, then move on, or does he try to come back down to 47? You know? What no, I mean? yeah, I think Errol would have to come. If it's yeah. not agreeable yeah. at 54, yeah. then, you know, cause Terrence kind of holds the cards there and says, yeah. well, no, we got to have it at 47. That Errol says, you know what? I, I can't make 47, you know, and, and well, maybe in his mind, he's thinking like, I don't want to see this again. I'll, I'll just, I'll just go to 54 and, and take on new challenges. And well, listen, and, and, uh, Terrence just said in the post fight, 
interview that he he said 47 was wasn't hard for wasn't wasn't easy for me yeah he said it wasn't a struggle but you know it wasn't it wasn't easy true i was thinking about going up to 54 already right you know, so, so that could be i still he may say just you know give spence what he wants and with 54 and he goes hey i feel like it could beat him anyway and that way i don't have to go crazy and trying to cut weight hey let's let's do it i think he'll get a little a little heat but what i actually would advise him to do is hey you you that that performance said it all. You don't have to rematch exactly. Arrow. Right. He, he there you go. activates the rematch clause. You say F those belts. Yeah. You move up. You're a superstar. You don't need belt status anymore. Mm. And you, and you do what you have to do at the 154 pound weight class, you know? Did so that's he, what I would tell Arrow or uh, Terrence to do. Did he solidify himself as best pound for pound? At the moment, yeah, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he did. Um, there, obviously, you can make the argument of NUA. I still have mm-hmm. not watched that fight, mm-hmm. actually, with uh, with Fulton. Stephen Fulton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, he's he is number one, and I thought that they would after this fight, we would see who number one and number two are. I actually think that Arrow, based on this performance, you got to kick him. He's still maybe he's still top five because of who he is and what he's done, maybe. <laughs> But he might be out of the five now, you know? Yeah. I mean, that'd be a severe drop. But yeah. again, when you get dominated like that, like that. In, in your in your division that you yes. hold three of the four belts, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, in, and you know this better than anybody. I mean, a career can change yeah. in one night. Absolutely. Right? I, there's no secret that Errol Spence's life, his health, um, everything has now been altered. And, um, that for me is more than anything. What, you know, I, and I got two friends here. I got a, a very good friend in Terrence Crawford and I have a friend in Errol Spence. And so the thing after the fight was I wasn't going to go to either back room. I actually ended up going to Terrence, but that was for, that was some business related things, but not to get back in the ring with it. Right. Just be clear about that. But I didn't go back to Errol's room, corner room and because I knew what the energy was going to be like. And I was like, my yeah. face, I don't think you need to see my face. Right. I don't think you need to hear me say, Hey, keep your champ or anything like that, you know, but there is going to be a moment when I do reach out to Arrow just to make sure that he's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because at the end of the day, this is a business and this is, um, it's just, it's, it's what we do. But we all have lives, personal lives outside of this business, you know. And so on a personal level, I do want to make sure that he's all right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great fight. Uh, if you're a Terrence Crawford fan or you thought Terrence Crawford would, would win the fight, did you actually officially pick anybody to no, win the fight last week? Yeah. Never picked anybody. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, hey, you got to pick somebody. I was like, on my podcast. All right. I, yeah. I'm picking Terrence, but I'm picking him because we're, 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 we're closer friends and, yeah. you know, we're just from the same Olympic quad, blah, 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 you know, but I didn't, I, this is, and I saw Steve, um, uh, Steven, um, Steven, uh, Espinoza mm-hmm. after the fight, head down. I mean, he was hurt. So, um, I said, Hey, man, this was a good night for you. He said, No, it wasn't. I just, you know, that was, that was, that was bad. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you just made a lot of money, sir. You can't do this in front of public. You got to go right. to your room. Yeah. And then because feel his bad guy lost. for Errol. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. And if anything, you should be really just swallowing a lot of the words that you've said over the years about this young man, Terrence Crawford, and you should be congratulating him. But I said to him, I said, I said, this is, he said it wasn't supposed to be like this. I said, I said, no, no, no. Let's be honest. There were a lot of components and a lot of ways this fight could have played out. I said, this was one of them. It just was so far down on the list that nobody remembered that it was there. All right. So let's close out with this, the business side 
of boxing. I hate the business. I know you do. I know. But again, you're not in the business side now. So again, you're not, (laughs) you know, correlated to anybody here. So we tell it like it is. All right. We know that Terrence Crawford wanted this fight for, I'd say, the last four years. Yeah. Okay. He was with Bob Arum. He's with top rank. Bob Arum tried to make that fight. Um, It couldn't be made. Okay. And according to Bob and other people that are, I guess, close to the negotiation said that Al Heyman did not want to do it. Okay. You fought under the PBC branch of, of Al Heyman. We know that the 147 division at the time you were fighting the predominantly, those guys were fighting each other. Yeah. Okay. And that's why Crawford, that fight could not be made. Yeah. Do you believe that this fight should have been made, could have been made, you know, earlier? And what were the reasons it did take so long? Was it basically what I'm saying here is that, cause here's, here's my take. I'll say it. I think. Crawford knew he could beat Spence. I think Spence thought he could beat Crawford. Uh-huh. I don't think Al Heyman thought that Ooh. Spence could beat Crawford. And that's why, and I, I've said that for the last few years, that he didn't want his guy to get in there because this could happen. Yeah, this is this is business, but I actually think it was something personal. I don't think it was that he didn't think Arrow yeah. could beat him. I think, if anything, he thought that Arrow could lose to him, but yeah. I don't think he truly saw that. I just think from a personal standpoint, there were things about – um, Bob Arum, and then there became things about Terrence Crawford, where, where, which ended up make, make, making this fight happen when it did. I think that, um, honestly, I don't even think that they're past it. I know that, I don't know what the contract is like for Terrence, but I do think, I believe he's like officially a PBC. No, fighter. he's a free agent. Yeah, he's a free he, agent. Yeah. No, he's not with anybody. That is, that's what t- it's taken him so long to kind of talk his way into this. Yep. Thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're exactly right. And I think that, um, that is, so <laughs> this is the, this is just the contradicting part. So he gets away from Bob and now he's a free agent, but guess what? Being a f- free agency is a promoter's worst nightmare. Because a free agent can do what exactly what what Terrence did, right. and then go fight wherever else he wants to fight. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it, man. Just let it happen, and you couldn't stop it. Now, the worst thing that could have happened, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. for for Mister Heyman is you get a hard headed Errol Spence Jr. who just won't move on. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> kind of is what it is, you know. And see, and I think if you talk to Terrence, and you you know better than anybody that you know he never had to deal with the business side of boxing. It was yeah. like, okay, Bob, you know, let me, and he got frustrated with Bob well, too. I was and Bob say, says, I'm trying to make the fight. And a lot of times Terrence didn't understand that. I remember, you know, being in, in like media rooms and, and, and hearing ten- Terrence and overhearing, you know, co- uh, um, conversations yeah. is like, you know, I mean, come on, man, you can't give me this. You can't give me this. So <laughs> now since he stepped away and he's representing himself, he's saying, he goes, now I got to deal with all this stuff. And I know he doesn't like it. No, I, I, he, it worked out for him in this sense, but he's going to have to continue to do this. But I think what happened was he learned the hard way. He learned the business the hard way, which is the, the worst way to learn the business as a fighter. But once he gets away from Bob, now he's ready to do it on, on his own. Mm-hmm. I think he learned a lot of it and he knew how to handle it. But then you come to PBC, excuse me, you come to PBC and Mr. Heyman, but Mr. Heyman doesn't want to deal with an athlete. He wants to deal with business. And so it's like, he is like, damn, if I do, damn, if I don't, I got, I'm, now I'm alone and I'm ready to make this happen, but now you don't respect me. And so I actually hit up Terrence and I said, yo, you got to get representation. Somebody that, that Mr. Hammond respects because he's, he doesn't respect you as a businessman. And so I think that it did take some time for, for, for him to find, I think he went through maybe 
one or two different lawyers in order to get this thing done. Yes. Um, which is just sad and honestly, man, it's disrespectful. Yeah. It's not fair. Yeah. And I'm glad that the best case scenario happened for Terrence. I'm happy for him. I do. I, I feel for Arrow and I, and I expect Arrow to come back strong. Um, I didn't have a dog in the race. I was looking forward to it and uh, I wanted both guys to be healthy after the fight. Uh, but the bottom line is I'm happy mm-hmm. for Terrence because for the first time in his career, it sucks saying that he turned pro in 08. Yeah. And for the first time in his career, he finally got what he wanted. And he's 35 years old. How? You know, and he didn't, he didn't look like he was 35 either. No, not, and after the fight, he didn't either, but exactly. 15 year career and you just not getting what you want. That's, yeah. It's unfortunate, man. So we, we're now in the process of trying to make some things happen for him outside of the ring so that he can live, um, a great professional career. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping the best for him. You guys had a lot of, um, you know, I don't want to say trash talk, but it, you know, it was there when you, when you fought him and the same thing with Spence and, yeah. and other opponents. But I know deep down inside, and you've, you've said it right here before that, I mean, you've ultimately respected Terrence Crawford. How, how is your relationship with him now? Uh, as good, even better than it was before? Uh, it, I would say it's the way it's been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that because he's, he's a misunderstood athlete. He's a misunderstood person. And, um, I've always understood him. And I think that that's why we've always had a, a bond. Uh, I was, I, what I do after fights is I get the security to get me right out of there because I don't want to deal with it, but I wanted to see the, the, the post fight interview in the ring and then um i made my way actually to the front of the row of the row that i was in and uh when he's walking by he sees me and he's been out here quite a few times we hang out all that kind of stuff my two co-hosts he said hey man tell your co-host i said f them i said <laughs> I, said, I said man go home to your locker room yeah. he said no that ain't yeah. no no mean f you that's a yeah. that's a nice f you but that's who he is as a person you right. know he can't get past the things that other people have said about him and he's always out to prove a point and that's what that energy was on fight night for him and it, yeah. you know it was gonna be a hard night to beat terrence crawford the other night speaking of the post-fight press conference here's what terrence crawford had to say well, i've been telling <clears throat> Each and every one of y'all for years. A lot of y'all over here looking sad. Ellie, you looking like a retarded ass dude over there because you was going against me. You know what I mean? But all in all, you know, I get to say I told y'all because I've been asking for these fights for years. And y'all been saying, oh, he's too small. He's going to get this. He's going to get broken. And each and every time that I step up, I proved y'all wrong each time. So, you know what I mean? Write some great stories about Terrence Crawford. Don't hate on him. Don't say nothing negative. Just give me my props. Terrence Crawford, post-fight. Just give me my props. I, that's all I want for the kid. Just give me my props. Your mouth was wide open when you <laughs> heard him speak there. I, you know, I do TV now. And so it's like, there's, there's words. We literally, that way, you know what word I'm talking about? The R word. We've had to, mm. we do our, our shows and we go through with no edits, but there's been quite a few times that that word has been dropped. And I'm going to go ahead and say it was by me, but th- th- you know, the life that I come, the world that I came from, it just, that wasn't a hard, a bad word to use. But, um, so when I hear it now, I'm like, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, he's not in the same space that I'm in, but, to his point, you got to give him his props, yeah. you know? I felt like I was a part of that statement, which sucks, 
But um, I I do know that you know he doesn't mean any hard feelings at all or anything hard on uh to towards me when he says that um he just wants his pro- his props yeah. and um this is you can expect those kind of performances until he retires. Do you know who he was referring to as far as the media member that he called out, Elliot? Yeah, Ellie. Yeah, I no, I mean all of them. Everybody was just stunned. Here's what I don't understand. Okay, and again, maybe I mean I've had I've had. Terrence Stiff me interview. I told the story on, on, on Friday. Okay. But I have the utmost respect for him. I mean, he's one of my favorite Not fighters to watch. But this does. is what I don't understand. If you follow the sport of boxing, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do, like, like. Most of us do cover this thing. Yeah. How can you not respect this man? He came in here, Sean, 39 and 0 with 30 knockouts, now 40 and 0. I, We've seen whoever has been put in front of him. He is destroyed. I cannot recall another guy now has 12 consecutive wow. knockouts in a row. So, wow. you know, and, and we know fighters say, okay, we never respect this and that, but there are some media guys that, I don't, I don't get it. You're yeah. not a true media guy yeah. and follow this sport. If yeah. you have never respected Terrence Crawford, you, he's, he's a misunderstood guy, man. And I think that who he is as a person has unfortunately overshadowed who he is in the ring. And then when you take a look at him being 135 and then being 140. Mm. Being it with top rank, not getting the big, the, the big names and then get fighting guys when they've had losses or whatever the case may be. It's just, it's become what it's become. I really hope everyone heeds the words that he just said. And I do believe that, that, that they will. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Boots Ennis over the last maybe two or three years. And, um, for the first time I started hearing people, Boots better stay at home. <laughs> Don't mess with Terrence Crawford. And I can't blame him, man. Uh, electrifying fighter right there, man. I think that, um, it was like, it, this was like winning the Royal Rumble for boxing. And I think that the, the, the job at hand now is to extend what he did last night or on Saturday night beyond Saturday night. And like I know in the boxing world, after one week, what you've done is gone. Extend it past that one week. We got to milk this, this, this cow, milk this clock and get everything we can get out of that. And I say we because I, I love him as a person. He knows that. I've told him that and I'm trying to do the best I can to help him reach some, some, some platforms that he hasn't been able to get to either on his own or, or, you know, with his team. He is Showtime Sean Porter. Uh, nobody knows either one of those fighters better than anybody. The man is fantastic <laughs> on not only television, the Porterway podcast. You can see how comfortable this guy is in a microphone. He's been this way now for a while, but is fantastic. The best boxing podcast out there. Go get it. Hey, Porter Way we go. podcast. I did a Fox show and I can't, uh, uh, ringside, uh, commentary. Yeah. And I showed up when they were going on air, just like that. Yeah. Put the headphones on right before the first bell. That's how I do it, baby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's next for you, man? What's um, I'm traveling, doing some more. I'm yeah. on the zone this weekend. Yeah. And uh, just enjoying life, man. Just enjoying life. Man, always good to see you. Yes, sir. Again, appreciate the knowledge. I more, appreciate your More patience. important than anything, yeah. appreciate the friendship, as you know. I appreciate your patience, you man. Got it. Later. All good. Showtime. Sean P. in the house. We come back. We'll talk a little bit more. Sam Gordon's going to join us next hour. We'll touch more upon Terrence Crawford's dominating performance. we got NFL, Major League Baseball. Marco D'Angelo is in the house right here. T.C. Martin Show on a marvelous Monday. You can't take my joy, devil. Makes me cut. Makes me cut.
This is Showtime Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning into the TC Martin Show. Continue on. Appreciate Showtime. Sean Porter in the house. What do you think of that, Marco D'Angelo? I got it. Sean Porter fought both fighters, watched it, uh, gave you that perspective, and uh, the beatdown that ensued Saturday night. All Terrence Crawford, and many would like to see a me match, a rematch, and others would say, "No, thank you." That was if I would ask Sean. Two questions. One would have been, as I said to you off the air, it's great to have that connection. You've got the perspective. You fought both guys. But on the same token, you know, they're gonna every time they talk about, well, you fought both guys, you're reminded that you, you lost the fights and they were close, you know, close fights, obviously. But uh selling the rematch, you know, that's where I'm at. I know they had the claws in there. If it was a close fight, you know, you're clamoring for the rematch you can't wait for it i don't know as a fan how do you go out and want to plunk down pay-per-view on this rematch because what did you see during this fight that was so one-sided that thinks that it can change i agree i think it's very tough to sell that rematch the casual boxing fan probably wants nothing to do with it the hardcore fan if you you know or maybe a pro spence fan you know going into this oh he had a bad night no he didn't it wasn't a flash knockdown. I mean, he got knocked down in the second round. And then, and the way he got knocked down and, and with that punch, with basically that, that you know, it was a, a short combo. And it didn't look like it was much. And he went down. And then he started getting bloodied. He didn't win another round. He went down twice in the seventh. And for a guy who was undefeated, like Earl Spence was coming into this fight, um, you just like, wow. I mean, if you look that bad, against Terrence Crawford and all the props in the world to Terrence Crawford. But no, I mean, his career may not ever be the same to get over that because he was very confident. You know, he thought he was going to come in here and and, and take care of business because he had three of the four belts. But, you know, for me, the reason why I picked Crawford, and I think I said it last week, is I felt that Crawford was stronger and he was smarter. And I kind of alluded to that in the conversation with Sean Porter is that I felt that Spence had been very protected, you know, by Al Heyman and all those other welterweights, which were very good welterweights. And Sean Porter was one of them, but it just, they were cut from a different cloth. And Terrence Crawford is just a strong willed, uh, guy from mentally and physically and seen, I've seen, Crawford train a whole bunch over the years. And that's the beautiful thing. I mean, like I said, it, it was kind of like a bi-coastal thing because people on the East Coast may not have seen much of Terrence Crawford, but he's fought so much here under top rank and so many Las Vegas fights. We've got a chance to see him, so we know what he's all about. And uh, and Spence hasn't you know, fought here in, in, in Vegas hardly at all. And at one time in L.A. when he fought Sean. So, yeah, to me... Um, I didn't know it was going to be that much of a, of a beat down, but I fully expected, you know, Crawford to win the fight and only at minus 150 and it closed at 150. Actually, I think it closed back up at 160. Uh, that was a gift. That, that was a gift. You'll never, ever, you've never gotten Terrence Crawford at those kind of odds and you're never going to get him at those kind of odds again. That was going to be my next question to you is if we had one of our buddies from, you know, the Superbook at the Westgate, what do you make the line? 
in a rematch now after what just occurred. How much, mm. you know, do you add to it? Because 280, you know, yeah, you're, you know, almost doubling it. Yes, of course. It, it was at 140 for a good part of the, you right. know, a good part of the Remember week. Remember what John Murray said last week. He opened it to pick him. Yeah. You know? And I hope John didn't bet it because we were talking about that. And he goes, well, yeah, oh, good point. Yeah, just like, uh, well, I like the value. And you see, and you could speak uh, to this better than anybody. I've never understood that argument about value. Hey, I'm going to take a shot with this guy because I can get him at plus 130 or plus 140. And I I said it on Friday, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. That's, it's probably comes across that way. But that's not value. If that If you don't think that guy can win the fight, you're donating money. Oh, I, okay. Well, I gave it a shot because, you know, I was getting plus money. So I lost whatever, a hundred or a thousand, but I could have won this and that. You lost. You lost. The better fighter was the favorite. You know, he was the favorite. And no, you don't have to be uh, the better fighter. It'd be minus 400. You can be the better fighter and be favored by 150 or 160. It's just the public bought into Earl Spence. They absolutely did. And I, I love how you say, you know, the world where all the, the values there, it's plus EV and that, you know, I'm on the other side of that coin. That's something that, you know, we have discussions about, you know, you hear the phrase closing line value. You know, some people are so, you know, they, f- they feel like they're the smartest person in the room when they bet a game that closed higher, you know, so they got the best of the yeah. number. Congratulations. Yeah. But if you still lost that bet, what what does that mean? Yeah, it, it means you, you can read the market. You got in front of it. In long term, yes, if you're getting an extra point on every wager you make, that's going to help you in the long run. But in the short term, doing a short sample size, I would rather have a winning ticket in my pocket at a bad number than a losing ticket at a good number. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just sorry. Yeah. I, that's what I want. And just because there was value at a certain number doesn't mean there's still not value at the next number if you personally put that a lot higher. And that's the case with you. You thought Crawford should have been a lot higher price than he was and that Spence was getting too much, you know, hype and the market overreacted to it. So we see this all the time. I have seen, you know, we had guys at our site had big plays on on Crawford. They, you know, they weren't they thought the value was there right. as well. You know, and these are guys that that's what that's all they do. They follow boxing right. and, you know, I don't, but you know, if somebody tells me, you know, it gives me the reasons why, and I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no problem piggybacking somebody that you I know. I was hoping you jumped on it after yeah. Friday's show. Not quite, yes. <laughs> you know. But uh, it was. I had other things. Uh, I was on. Sa- I was on Saturday w- with the the Astros. I was with you with that yeah. one, and uh, you know. And I even put in my write up my analysis about the injuries and and they're going to start hitting. And then what they do? They had seventeen runs right. that day. Beautiful, you know, beautiful. I wasn't on them yesterday. I, 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 I think I think that it's a little bit different. And again, curious on your opinion on this. When you're talking about point spread value compared to money line value. Now, boxing, a mano a mano, we're talking about, you know, and I guess we could use, you know, throw baseball in there, even though it's a team sport, but it's the same thing about, you know, a, a team that, you know, you're laying whatever, $1.40, $1.60 or whatever, and maybe, hey, maybe this line should be 220 or whatever. But with boxing, you know, you're picking the winner and you have to decide if you're going to lay the juice, if you like the favorite or like, Hey, I, I'm going to take a shot with this guy because, Hey, if I win, if then I'm going to get plus money. So I think it's a little bit different when you're talking about point spreads versus a money line as far as value. 
there's no question the difference is, is, and we use the phrase all the time, the point spread is the equalizer. Okay. So yeah, whenever you're laying more points, it can change the outcome of the game for you from a betting result, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the outcome. So let me throw this at you. So I guess what I'm trying to ask or say here is, say you're taking a seven and a half point underdog in football, mm-hmm. least, yeah, as an example, basketball, foot doesn't matter. Okay. Many times you kind of feel, well, I'm going to take the dog here, but I don't believe they can win. Mm-hmm. But hey, I'll take that value of the points. Here's the thing. When you're talking about boxing or even baseball, right. okay, you have to win the game. Right. Okay. You have to win. So I, I think it's a, it's a different perspective here. You know, with that, you know what I'm saying? So you have to look at it differently. Oh, absolutely. You, cause you, you hit it, you nailed it. It's a win. It's not a point spread that comes in where you can win and lose. There's not that right. situation. So yes, you can in, there's another, and it's kind of a little bit reckless, but some guys will say, you don't have to worry about the juice until you lose. <laughs> that's reckless. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's like, that's like a guy, you know, I make poker references to you all the time. A guy that constantly will shove all in. You know, and he'll keep doing that. You know, and at, at some point I go to him, you know, that works every time, but one, <laughs> you know, and then you're done <laughs> and you're going home. Yeah. That's it. Speaking of which, uh, flipping the channels was, I think it was after, was it Saturday night? I think it was flipping the channels again. There was rounders. There was, and I had to stick with it. I had to stick with it. I had, I had to watch, you know, might go get Teddy KGB one more time. My, you know what my favorite line of rounders is in the entire movie is when worm goes, women, they're the rake of life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, that's a very underrated line in that movie. Most people forget about that. That's my, that's my favorite line. Wife doesn't like it whenever I, I quote it. (laughs) I think you know what my favorite line of that movie is. Pay that man his money. Well, you know, I, was, yeah. I mean, jeez. Yeah. I don't know what's going Pay on. Pay that there. man his money. <laughs> We're talking about the movie. You have the controls right there. What you haven't turned on the mic right once today. What's going you on? You know what? What's going on, brother? You know what? what? <laughs> That's why Go I was ahead. waiting. I talk. was waiting for Come on, buddy. Come on, talk. Talk. <laughs> what's going on with you? Today? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. That's it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next hour, Sam Gordon is going to join us. Uh, we'll get his uh, take on the fight as well as the Aces in their uh, victory yesterday. And the Aces back in action again tomorrow as well, too. Okay, Butch. You know what I saw? What did you see? Man? This about 15 times this weekend. Yeah. I loved it. So after I got done watching Rounders, I'm flipping the channels again. You know, late at night. It's like, okay, cool. There goes the equalizer again. And I, I can't get off that either. The first one, you know? Yep. I, I can't get off. I, I, I got to hang with this. Okay. Here we go. He's going to, you know, beat all these Russians down in, you know, Home Mart is what they call it, right? Are you Equalizer fan, Marco? Not really. Oh, come on. I'm trying to lead you to victory in boxing. I I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. I'm going to lead you to these golden movies. Pulp Fiction guy? I've watched Pulp Fiction. I'm not as big a fan as everybody. That's a oh. movie that it's like a cult. You know? That is a yeah. cult yeah. classic. There it is. All right. We continue on. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming next right here on a, I'll say it again, Magnificent Monday. I'll never be. 
ass is going down in the fourth. Let's stick together. Be like T-ball pretty soon. Touch it and a ground ball to third, breaking for the plate, the throw, and they got him. No, he called him safe. He called him safe. Unbelievable. That is remarkable. That is unbelievable. The throw beat him by a mile. Live. Did he get him? Oh, he tapped him. I thought he missed him. He did miss him. In the entertainment capital of the world. It isn't. The runner goes halfway. Somebody thought it was on. His Torres had to scoop it and doesn't get it. And Ty Wigginton, oh-oh, he he bumped him and he's gone. It's the T.C. Martin Show. And Wigginton is furious. Diagnosis. The 3-2 pitch. Prognosis. Outside ball for Cosplay 3. Osmosis. Cosplay 3. I didn't think that Marty Foster was going to ring it up. The doctor, T.C. Martin. No, goodness no, gracious. No, no, no. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. The doctor is now in. Get your money's worth. Talk some Major League Baseball here in hour number two. T.C. Martin, Marco D'Angelo in the house. Wagertalk.com. That's where you go to get Marco's plays. Not gonna get any boxing plays there for Marco. No, you gotta, you gotta come here. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right, we got uh, aces to talk about this hour as well, too. Major League Baseball, some NFL, more audio. You get to hear from Jets Camp, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, boy. All right, more on that coming your way. Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. If you missed hour number one, Showtime Sean Porter, the two-time welterweight champ, the retired champ, and great thoughts on Terrence Crawford's dismantling of Earl Spence Jr. Saturday night at T-Mobile Arena. Three knockdowns in the fight in a stoppage in the ninth round. TKO for Terrence Crawford now improving to 40-0. The first fighter to capture the undisputed welterweight championship in two weight divisions. First time since the uh, four-belt era began in 1988. It's got the WBC, the WBA, IBF, WBO belts. And uh, what an amazing performance for Terrence Crawford, best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. And again, appreciate Showtime Sean Porter for joining us. Uh, that'll be up on the website an uh, hour or so after the show at tcmartinshow.com. Marco D'Angelo in the house. All right, my friend. Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff to touch on here in this hour. And let's let's start talking about a little baseball. Because on Friday, we talked about Otani and the Angels. The Angels, for all the talk the last couple of weeks, like should they trade Otani you know, Artie Moreno says no. I'm gonna we're gonna stick with him. And I said, well, he's gonna you know milk it out for the money and everything. Well, the Angels usually are in sell mode at this time, but now all of a sudden they're in buy mode. Can you believe that the Angels are in buy mode? And right now, they've been acquiring so-called talent. So, um. Here's what the Angels have done just in the last 40 hours. All right, they've gone the opposite approach. They're buyers now instead of sellers. Today they acquired Randall Grichuk from Toronto um, and also CJ Crone. Well, Grichuk spent many years, I should say, in Toronto, but he was with Colorado. Obviously, the Rockies having a dismal season. So the Rockies send Randall Grichuk and CJ Crone, who used to be with the Angels. All right, so. 
first base DH. They got him. And before that, they added pitcher, starting pitcher Lucas Giolito, uh, from the Red Sox and, uh, Ronaldo Lopez. So I'm not sure these moves are going to really amount to anything, but the Angels are trying to make the playoffs for the first time in a decade. They're currently four games behind in the wild card chase, five and a half games behind the Texas Rangers who lead the American League West. So what do you think, Marco? Angels are now buyers, and they think they have a shot at the postseason. Well, that's what they got to sell. I mean, if you're going to keep Otani and not get anything for him, risk not getting anything for him because you want to, as you've said many times, milk every dollar out of him that you can, well, then you got to stay in the playoff chase till the end, whether you make the playoffs or not. So, yeah, they went out and got some other pieces. Uh, Giolato, remember, this is a guy uh, that, you know, has had good stuff at times. He, you know, it hasn't been, it's been an up and down season. He's had but, a no hitter, but then again, he's had an ERA uh, hovering around five and a half and six too right. during his career. I got a chance to see him come up through the Nationals organization and Nationals, you know, shipped him mm-hmm. off to Chicago and then he throws a no no over there. And then, uh, we haven't seen much of him recently, but it's another arm in that, you know, that's if you want to say past Otani with the pitching. Where's your, where do you have anything that you really count on with the Angels? So I think it's a decent addition. You know, can they get there? I don't think so. Um, I'm not a fan of their bullpen at all. And, you know, they go as far as the Tony goes and he has carried the team. If Trout gets back and can be of any help, you know, I heard a quote today. He hasn't even started, you know, lifting a bat yet. So he's not close to getting back you know, anytime soon. So we'll see what happens. But I think the the big news and, you know, you're familiar with this division as you follow the Astros. What do you think about the Texas moves? Texas moves. Over the weekend, Max Scherzer goes from the Mets to the Rangers. Uh, Texas, they feel, okay, this is their best shot. Um, they went and spent a lot of money in the offseason. Okay. Uh, you got Simeon, you got Seeger, you got guys over there now, uh, and you got some role players that are playing exceptionally well, but they're still in need of pitching. The Mets, what a disaster season. You go and you spend the money for Verlander, you spend it for Shearzer, and now it's all going south. And, uh, Shearzer actually had a no trade contract, you know, no trade clause in his contract. He actually waived that because he wanted to get the heck out of there as fast as he could. And now he finds himself in a pennant race. So I like the aggressive nature by the Rangers, but I think that we've seen the best of Max Scherzer in the rearview mirror. As much as I like him, he's still prone to injury. We've seen that. Uh, it's better than any other starter, really, that the Rangers have. So I, I like the move. I'm very, very curious to see what Shears is going to deliver for this team. Well, you got to go back to the Mets in the offseason paying the money because both Shears and Verlander, they're, you know, you like to use the phrase with me and you, bookends, they're both the same. They've been very dominant pitchers through their careers, but they're both looking at the backside of Father Time. And we know Father Time's undefeated. They tied up a lot of money in those two guys in, you know, it hurt him in, to get on 
I didn't read the entire trade, you know, what went down, but the Mets are on the hook for some of that salary. Oh, a majority get, of it. Yeah. 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 You want to talk about egg on your face. Yeah. You know, you're the you're the GM that orchestrated those two signings and the team's fallen, you know, flat on its face. That's not a good look for the Mets, but they're used to that, you right. know. And Texas, though, you know, does that rejuvenate? Give them that little shot of the fountain of youth when you go from a bad situation to all of a sudden you're in the middle of a of a pennant race. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're you're gonna get the best of Shures or whatever he has. He's gonna be rejuvenated going to that team. And like you said, hell yeah, I'll wave my no trade clause to get out of here. And I don't know how much Shears is rejuvenated. I think that he's still angry with you know. Again, he's gone through this. This uh, rent a player routine ever since he left Washington. Cause remember, he went to the Dodgers and he thought, okay, well, hey, maybe I'll stay here. No, nope, it's not going to happen. Oh, now I want to sign another deal. Now I'm going to go to the Mets. Okay, great. Oh, this hasn't worked out either. Now I got to be Texas. Max is a guy that he's not that rent a player. He doesn't want to be that. And he's got starting to get labeled as that. And then you throw in the injuries on top of that. So he's kind of had this chronic neck injury that he's had going back to Washington and it, and it flares up. Uh, you know, quite a bit here. I don't know. And he's had a little bit of arm problems. So I don't know if he's thinking like, whoo, thank God I'm out of here because, hey, I'm going to Texas. Texas is no different than the Angels. They're perennial losers. But they've had a good year this year uh, offensively. But what happens when they face the Astros? <laughs> they just have this mental block, just like the Yankees. It's the same thing. When you get beat down over and over and over, and more so Texas than the Yankees. The Yankees just have this, this postseason dilemma with the Astros. You don't, you don't face them 18, 19 times a year where Texas is. Just they haven't won that silver boot, which is the, the, what they play for, you know, in the rivalry between Texas and Houston. And it, we saw it last week when the Astros beat the Rangers again, two out of three. And it's like, Okay, we know that Houston, this is the, the mindset of Texas. It's like, well, we know that, you know, Houston's banged up, but uh oh, Alvarez is coming back. Uh oh, Altuve's coming back. Well, Brantley's going to be coming back pretty soon. Uh oh, we, we don't feel, co- and, and you saw that they hadn't, didn't have any confidence in that series last week. So I just think that there's a stumbling block and Texas knows they can't beat the Astros. Oh, we got Bruce Bochy now. Okay, fine. Now we got Max Scherzer. Okay, fine. We got Marcus Simeon. Okay, great. Having a great season. But, you know, I don't know if you watched that series where they lost two out of three to the Astros, but the bench is cleared in, in one, and they, in Texas is just this angry team. They just feel like, they don't have this composure right now. So, hey, as the Astros get healthy, if they can just get some type of pitching and they can get a starting pitcher by tomorrow at the trade deadline, then, you know, t- I, I, I don't think much of Texas. I got When you're describing that rivalry between Texas and Houston, to me, it mirrors the way the Dodgers dominated the Padres. Okay. There you go. You, it, but eventually they get over that hump. And they feel that this is the year that they can get over that hump and give Texas credit. You know, I talked about it on that last game of that series. That was a huge swing game in the standings because they could have left Houston tied. Right. But they they found a way to win that final game of the series. So I think them winning the final game of the series might give them that little bit of confidence to go out and make a few plays. But I'll tell you this much. 
if Houston goes on a run and wins, you know, like eight of the next 10 or, you know, 12 of the next 15 games and they catch Texas and get a game or two lead, then it could get ugly because that's when it could unravel for Texas because they've played so well all year and Houston's had all of the problems that they've had and are still, you know, right there looking at them in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. But again, so like you mentioned, they were end up one game back after that series. Two games it, back. It, that was a two game. It would have been a tie. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah. And then no, they picked up a game because it was two and they end up one. So when, when that series was over, they ended up one. So as they state today, because Texas is, has lost the last couple in a row now, it's now one game, even though they're not playing each other right now. It's one game right now, but right. but I I got to disagree with you because it was when they went it to the final. It was one. It could have been tied, so it was two when they left. Two when they because they entered at three. Yeah. They entered minus three. Yeah, yeah. they so picked up one game. They picked up one game. There you go. But right. they could I have had. Corrected. They could have had to right. sweep. Absolutely, and that would have been an absolute disaster for Texas. Right. So, but they're on the verge here because again, Texas had trouble you know with the Dodgers, and then last weekend losing that series as well too. So right now the Astros just one game behind, and Texas making more moves uh, today as they acquired left-handed starter Jordan Montgomery, right-hander Chris Stratton, and a. Uh, international signing bonus uh, pool money from the Cardinals they got in exchange for a minor uh, league infielder. So it's funny because I saw uh, Jordan Montgomery pitch last Sunday when I was at the Cubs-Cardinals game, and he got racked. <laughs> Jordan Montgomery you know, came over from the Yankees where he got racked. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like, okay, they're trying to make moves. They played the better part of, you know, the first half of the season, not even beyond the first half of the season, doing great with what they had. I'm not sure that Jordan Montgomery is going to help you. Scherzer, obviously on paper, he should help you. He'll be better than what they had. But uh, sometimes you got to be careful about who you're you're bringing in and, and, and displacing. You know, luckily, they didn't get rid of anybody of any consequence. But, uh, yeah, it, again, Angels, Rangers, we have never seen them in this buy mode before, but they are certainly in the buy mode right now. The other thing with Shearzer is he's definitely going to be an upgrade to the staff, you know, even if you get 80% of them. But the leadership, if they do make the playoffs, the leadership of having somebody that's been there and done that is going to be vital for a team like Texas because they, as you said, they haven't been on this stage. So you need to have that locker room presence. So that's why I like, like the move there that they're trying to go with Houston. But let me throw it back to you. You're the big Houston guy. What move do they make? Who is out there you want them to go get? It's tough. Well, they added Kendall Graveman, who was with them before, and he was he was great when he was with them. You know, going back to 2021, uh, went over to the White Sox. Now he's back to Wasn't short he the bullpen. The he was the with the A's as yeah. well too. Yeah, yeah. So he bounced around a little bit. So um, this guy. Has well, I think he goes back. Well, Dusty had him in Washington too. That's when he started bouncing. You know, it was A's, Washington, then uh, Houston, Chicago. So a little strange that they went after a reliever, but because their bullpen was pretty solid, but Montero has not been good. I like the move that they got Graveman basically for nothing. But what they need is another starting pitcher because they're relying on these young guys right now. Urquidy is going to be slow to come back. From the injury, um, Valdez and Javier are their aces, you know, right now, you know, cause they lost Verlander in the offseason and Valdez and Javier were great 
up until last month, and then they have not been good. So now, because of the injuries and everything, you've been having to force guys like Belak and J.P. France, who's going tonight against uh, Cleveland, and other guys. And it's like uh, Hunter Brown, who could be that phenom, big strikeout guy. So, but I'm telling you, I'm worried because these arms are getting taxed. And I don't know how effective these these young pitchers are going to be come September, you know, even October if they get there. But Belak, they sent down today. Okay, after he was awful yesterday, he walked the uh, the first two hitters, uh, gave up four runs in, in the first inning. Basically, the game was over. Yeah, after that, you cannot have your starting pitcher at home. You know, walk five six guys. Cannot make stupid errors like. They made yesterday with Abreu and a couple others. So um, they need another starting pitcher. But honestly, I don't know who that guy is. Now, obviously, a lot of people are going to say, hey, if the Mets got rid of Scherzer, why wouldn't they, you know, dish Durland, uh, Verlander out there too, right? So, I mean, that's kind of a, a cool story of, uh, hey, maybe he could be reunited because, you know, he really didn't want to leave Houston. He had a good thing going. I mean, he credited the Astros and their pitching staff and their organization for helping him, you know, recover from the Tommy John surgery and hanging with them. And then what happens? Well, you know, he takes the next deal or his wife, I should say, takes the big deal, right? Um, there are people in Houston that say no to Verlander because of the way he left. So sometimes you got to like kind of suck it up. But then again, now you're going to get back in the situation. Okay, well, who's going to pay for that? You know, are you going to try to dump the majority of the salary on Houston or his new team or what? So I think it comes down to that. But I can guarantee I'm sure Verlander would love to come back to Houston. There's a fraction of people in the organization and players that would love to have him back. But there are other people there as well, too. They're like, hey, man, he left on his own. Let Bye-bye. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that was a little bit ugly in the way it ended in the off season, you know, and uh, and especially the celebration because I was there when they were celebrating, and this sounds terrible, but I'm just gonna just tell it like it is. His wife was like controlling the celebration of like who he was like celebrating with and everything, and he wasn't with the guys. He was like with her and then like their friends and family. It was, it was weird. It was weird because everyone else is like together and you, you know, you bring your family in the field and you have these bunches, but for the most part, it's, it's everybody. And then we went back to the locker room afterwards. Where's, where, where, where's Verlander and the champagne popping and all of a sudden? So you could see, okay, he was on his way out the door, which didn't really make sense because again, the Astros offered him a very nice piece of money. But now nah, let's go to New York. I like how you made reference to his wife made decisions. She did. Yeah. She did. Because, you know, she was very vocal about New York because of her, you know, career that she has what, as a model. And that, that was going to be good for her. It's not going to be good for Justin. I didn't realize she was a model. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to tell me if Kate Upton tells you where to go, you're not going to go? No. No. No one's going to tell me where to go. What are you talking about? I'm calling just, BS. Just, I'm calling just BS. because, you know, you've got Mrs. Marco over there that's pulling you by the string and saying, <laughs> hey, you know, we're going to Del Mar this weekend. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, you brought Mrs. Marco to the game yesterday, didn't you? I did. 
Good. Yeah. That's good. She didn't wear the floppy hat though, did she? No, 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 not, <laughs> not, no Delmar hat there for, for uh, the game. Yeah. It was a good game. Yeah. They, they came out and meant business yesterday. Okay. So uh, the line was 11 yesterday. People were asking me, so what do you think? What do you think? I go, they still going to win the game. And I said, I think they're going to win the game somewhere between maybe seven and 13. And, uh, there it was, right? Landed on 13. Uh, they built a 19 point lead, had it cut to three. Were you a little nervous at that point in time? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't well, no, you happy. weren't nervous because you already cast your first half ticket. That was easy money. Yeah. Well, I had, I had three bets that I wanted to get in yesterday. Okay. Uh, first one was the first half. That was an easy winner. And then I got the game. The third bet that I wanted to play was the team total. And every game, it's 93 and a half. That's, that's the team total for the Aces. And if they didn't go, they consistently go over the majority of the time, especially if they had a game before that, that they didn't get into the nineties. So I'm there trying to put my wager in. And you know, I have all my apps, you know, from the various sports books wanting to get the best line. Only one of the books that I have the apps with gives the team total in the WNBA. I go to log into that one and I'm battling, first of all, the Wi-Fi <laughs> at the arena. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm laughing because I know you're paying because I do that on a nightly basis. There. Okay. Yeah. So there's that to start. When I finally do get into, and I won't say which book it is, but I'll say that they changed the look of their app recently. And they changed the way my login was. Okay. And I didn't realize it because, you know, I was away at Del Mar and everything. And I'm trying to remember my password that's not working. And I'm going on and on. And then it's spinning with the, everything else. I'm doing this as the national anthems being sung and I'm getting a dirty look. I have my hat off, but I'm trying to get, I, I'm trying to get this bet in frantically because once they tip, the team total is gone. Listen, I, listen, I'm going to stop you right there. The national anthem. Is 13 minutes before tip off. You had plenty of time. I still was trying. I, I was up to game time. They were playing. My, my Motown attempt, guys singing the national anthem. You're fantastic. You know, then recently, did you know they had their 500th show at the Westgate? <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it. That's it. So, can I play a sound effect for this guy right now? Yeah, I'm well aware of that. The show that I missed. Yeah, because some ham and egger sideswipe me and send me to the hospital on the 500th show. That, yeah, I'm familiar with that, Marco. Continue with the damn story. Well, needless to say, Mr. I, 13 minutes yeah. to play with. I never, and you know, once I finally got in, I had to reset my password. And when I went to reset the password, the password I put in. Ow! Not again. Stop that over there. Was the same password that I had originally. It finally told me, you can't reset with your old password. Oh, no. And that I had been trying to log into with, mm. it was on the username end that they switched it, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> they, they switched from account number to email. <laughs> and that's why I kept getting wow wrong password. I got you. How about, well, okay. Because uh, if it was an internet issue, then... I would have just advised you, well, wait a minute, why don't you just click off of the internet and just go without internet? And I have better luck with that, especially like at T-Mobile and other places like that. 
I did try that too as well. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. It was not, not working, not working well for me yesterday. Mm. Okay. You know, they're not, you know, but you got two, you won two bets. You were two and oh. I was, but I, I'm greedy. I went you three. You were two and one. I went through. To be honest, that would have been that was going to be the bigger. The first two, I split. Yeah. I split my half in in my full game bet. But then I was going to have a, you know, the equal of those two were going to be on the team total, which you know, again, they put up thirty five in the first quarter. You, you're set and ready. We well, have yeah, fifty eight at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they came good. out. They came out smoking. This was a team TC that what I saw in the first quarter was an angry team. They, and they did it with their other revenge spot when they, when Connecticut came to town. They got their revenge. But what I saw yesterday, there was that period, you know, in the third quarter. I thought the third quarter was their worst quarter. Got okay. scored 31 to 21, yeah. The, they just were sloppy, a lot of turnovers. And the one thing that I didn't see yesterday, and I know they ended up with a lot of assists anyways because they had a lot of fast break, you know, Length of the court pass. How I many? It's probably the most I've seen in a game from yeah, them yeah. with the quick outlets that they had. But what I was concerned about, and it's what ended up happening where the game got close again. There was too many trips where players went up the court and they had no intention of passing the ball yesterday. It, it was one on one basketball, two up because they had that comfortable lead. And you're settling for bad shots and. All of a sudden, you know it doesn't take long. You go on an 8-0 run. You look back up at the scoreboard, and yeah, I was not happy. I, it came down to that final possession. Well, they cut it to three. Yeah, and okay. then they, you know, end up winning by double digits. But you're yeah. right for from a, a wagering perspective. You're right. It came down to the final possession. Yeah, and I was so I got up free throws when they when it was sitting at 13 and. Uh, they didn't put up, uh, Dallas didn't put up a three or missed the three, got the rebound and we had the ball and I quickly looked at the shot clock and I go, yes, they can dribble out the clock. And that was the, that's the most, that's the, uh, the closest thing you can have to a victory formation in the NFL, whatever yes. you're taking the knee. Yes. When you look up and they're just, and I've even seen it where, you know, and you see it in the NBA too, but even if there's like a few second difference on it, they'll still just dribble it out. Do you realize the, that it was like a second difference? They, they inbound like with 23 uh, seconds yeah. to go. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So I was watching the game. Mm-hmm. I saw KB with that beautiful spinner room. What I, and I was going to say, what was your call on that? Do you remember? Um, was there some sort of? No, it wasn't really. Uh, it wasn't anything. I, I probably should have supplied you with some of the highlights. It would have been too, good, cause, you know, because we <laughs> I had some we had some good highlights last night. We had a, but um, that was not one of them. I mean, that was I remember spinning floater boom. You yeah, know, that was the only bucket of the game. I know. But yeah. I just didn't know if you had some. Not on that Energetic. One. I, I, well, the Marco when Marco Spinneroony, Ramadan, I had that with AC for three, AC for three again, AC for three, like four for four. Yeah. And, and so I had some, uh, I think, you know, some she big calls without. She had a great game. She had a great game, yeah. And that's why I wanted to make sure I had her on the post game yesterday, yeah. too, because four for four from three. And again, she's just a world of difference for this team. But. The one Marco described, I really enjoyed when um, uh, Stokes had the block. It, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Asia had the block, and then then Plum got it with the baseball pass to Stokes, who was right. streaking the floor. That yeah. that was that was a good yeah. one. I had, I had fun with that one. And then with the threes, the Aces hit 13 threes yesterday. 13 for 25. It's 52 percent. That's unheard of. Uh, and then they shot 50 percent from the floor. 
yesterday as well too. So no, they they're clicking on all cylinders. Game you know, got right a little now. testy. There, there were some oh. hard fouls yesterday. Yes, there were, and the officials were horrendous. <laughs> that was the big. Thing. I I don't know. Um, Becky got on the T yesterday too. I was going to. That's what I was going to bring up. I. You know, obviously in the stands, I don't know what was said. You're you're there courtside. <laughs> it had to be pretty true. She was not happy. No, it was uh, felt that the players were getting fouled excessively. It, it was it was a very physical, you know, dirty game. But here's where the problem lies. It wasn't so much with Dallas. It was when you have officials and young officials like this that lose control of the game and they're inconsistent. Any coach will tell you, just, okay, if you're going to be bad, we get it, but just be consistently bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were some things that were just ridiculous. And then going to the monitors over and over, okay, is this flagrant? Is this not, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, how many times are we going to see the whirly bird, uh, you know, I guess? Like, no. I mean, oh, come back. Oh, it's a common foul. Well, no kidding. We knew it was going to be a common foul. So, yeah. Some interesting games coming up. So tomorrow night, Aces will take on uh, the Atlanta Dream. So Dallas came in 14 and 10, improved team. The Dream, another playoff team. Uh, they're 14 and 11. That's going to be a good game. Then we go to New York uh, for this weekend and Sunday, take on the Liberty at the Barclay Center. So looking forward to that for many reasons, but that's going to be one heck of a game. And that's one of your opportunities where you're going to get the Aces favored by a very low line. This is what I was going to ask you. You know I'm a situational guy. This game coming up on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I know Becky has kept her team focused, but this is a tough spot for them scheduling-wise. You're coming off that revenge game against Dallas, and then you've got New York on the horizon, which everybody is already you know, predetermined. We're talking about it, yeah. That's going to be the WNBA championship. Yeah. How do you keep the team focused for Tuesday night. Yeah, it, it's not a problem because you're not traveling right away. So the game's not till Sunday, so the Aces aren't leaving till Friday. So you, they're going to be here, and that's not going to be an issue. And again, you know, when you don't have much of a bench and you're forced to use your starters this many minutes, you know, Asia Wilson's not going to go in the tank. Chelsea Gray is not going to go in the tank. So, and again, you have that that mindset game too. Where Atlanta just, I mean, look at what the record is. I mean, they just haven't been able to compete with the Aces. And when you look at the matchups, they don't favor Atlanta at all. Granted, it's going to be a big number. They might, the Aces are going to win the game, but they may not cover that big number again. And I'm making that line probably about 13 and a half or so. So it may probably be that. Um, Atlanta is probably not as good as Dallas as far as having the quality of players, you know, they're playing well, but yeah, I, Aces will win. I, I, that, that's not a fearful thing. If you were getting on a plane the next day and you had a road game, like say on Thursday, that'd be a little bit of a concern. And maybe, you know, you, you, you want to re- give them a little more rest. But again, when you only have basically eight, nine that you're playing right now, uh, I don't think that, that won't be an issue. I know what you're looking at, but when you look at like the situation for really what it is and you dive into, uh, these players and this system and then the matchup and everything and the schedule. Yeah. So in general, what you're talking about makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it applies to this. Another question for you. And we know that the aces are the best team in bat in the WNBA. Nobody has a starting five the way that they do given the injuries. And given the shortness of the bench that she uses, at what point do you start to worry about, do you manage any of the minutes 
for the players. You got extra games this year. They added games, you know, to the, the season and you went deep last year, obviously, because you won the championship. Is, are you worried about this team getting a little bit of fatigue heading to the playoffs with as many minutes as the starters are having to do? No, 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 because again, you don't have a choice. They're going to, they're going to have to do it and they're in supreme condition. And you know, what you saw yesterday about, you know, the long outlet pass and running. And when you're seeing, uh, Kia Stokes and Asia Wilson running the floor. Okay. This is how they practice. This is, and, and, and Becky has made an, uh, more of an emphasis in recent practices for this. And they are in superb condition. So again, the only time you have to worry about the aces is if they get into foul trouble. If, if Wilson and, and, and I say Stokes because they're the only really two bigs that they have that they can count on. So. But that hasn't been the case. Uh, they play very, very smart, and especially Asia, she gets a lot of benefit uh, of the doubt calls. So, yeah, I think that plays in with – there's so many young of- officials in this league. So, no, I think that you don't have to worry about that uh, down the stretch. Again, if they have these big leads in the last couple games, but you got to remember, going to the playoffs, they're going to have a bye. They're going to be the number one seed. So um, that mindset – it doesn't come into play, and she does not allow them to have the mindset. It is pedal to the metal every game. And we talked about this in the pregame show yesterday was that the Dallas loss and the Connecticut loss bothers her. Any losses bother her. So they're at the point now where it's like they don't want to lose again because she goes, I have too many sleepless nights when, when we have these losses. And she goes, it's not like baseball, well, you know, or the NBA. So what? No, she goes, we don't want to lose. And you have to love that. As a fan, as a player, as a better, you got to love it knowing every night you are going to get top-notch effort. Yeah, and that's always a concern whenever you're laying big numbers. Uh, she's somebody that doesn't generally call the dogs off. Now, right. Yesterday, you know, she had to keep it going because of the Sydney Colson like, never got in the game. I mean, yeah. you know, at the end, Kayla George really never got in the game much of yeah. all. So I think she had five minutes. Yeah. All right, uh, Sam Gordon will join us. We'll hit that. We'll hit the fight. We'll hit more coming at you right here on this Monday. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. All right, a little bookend here today. We started with Showtime Sean Porter talking about Terrence Crawford's dominating performance over Earl Spence Jr. And let's wrap things up with our good friend Sam Gordon, also at the fight on Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena, writing from his perspective, his fine column there with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. And I love Sam's take, because before the fight, Sam and I were talking like, all right, who you like? And Sam goes, Terrence Crawford, late stoppage. I go, Sam, we're on the same side. And Sam, it came out that way. We didn't need a crystal ball. We've seen Terrence Crawford for about the last seven, eight years. And what a performance he put on last night. I want to know what Sam Gordon thought. Uh, first and foremost, TC, happy Monday. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Um, always a pleasure to come on the show. Uh, I thought it was the well, it was the single greatest performance I've ever seen live um, in person, uh, certainly in a fight of that magnitude uh, with, with just everything that was on the line. And I think you could make the case, TC, that it's as great of any individual performance uh, in the history of championship prize fighting. If you talk about any single performance, when you're talking about two undefeated fighters, all four belts, the most glamorous division, a rivalry that's been brewing. I mean, everything about Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford's respective career paths has been building 
uh, to Saturday night. I mean, that's, that's, that's been the story arc, the timeline, the last five years. We, we knew it was at stake. We knew how long this took. And to see Terrence Crawford, I mean, I thought, I always thought TC, he was a, a level above, um, Errol Spence Jr. I thought, I mean, for, for all the obvious reasons that were uh, on display, I didn't think he was two or three levels above that, like he was on, on Saturday night. I definitely, uh, I think that was an absolute masterclass. That was Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points. That's Wilt Chamberlain putting up 100. Uh, that's Peyton Manning throwing seven touchdowns. Anyway, you want to chalk it up. However, you want to, whatever metaphor you want, this was, I mean, this was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. This was Mozart. Uh, it was an, a total, utter dominant display of the sweet science uh, against another, again, top five pound for pound fighter. A, a guy that had chopped down the welterweight champions one by one. Uh, that had punished everybody he had been in there in the ring with and did not see Bud Crawford punishing him quite like that from the word go. That's what it is. He solved them within the first five minutes of the fight. He figured everything out he needed to. And I think even a, a crowd that was, I would say, around 50-50 Crawford Spence fans, uh, even the Spence fans, I think, at a certain point, uh, anybody that had a rooting interest uh, that it wasn't going their way, there was just a general sense of amazement and appreciation and, I think, stun- stunningness. You know, there was something stunning uh, about it, uh, just the the lack of uh, just anything coming from Errol Spence Jr. So, uh, all credit to him for getting in the ring, for making it happen. Errol Spence Jr. finally making it happen. Obviously, all credit to to Terrence Crawford as well and the proper parties. Al Heyman, PBC, Showtime, uh, Terrence Terrence Crawford's promotional company. Everybody made it made it happen, and Terrence Crawford absolutely seized the stage. And in my opinion, um, seized a spot uh, pretty clearly as one of the great pound-for-pound fighters in in the history of professional boxing. I think this does it, what he was able to put forth, and really contextualizes his greatness in a very unique way against, again, another great fighter, one of the top pound-for-pound fighters uh, of his era, Errol Spence Jr. Those that watch Terrence Crawford know that what he's capable of, we got a chance to see a lot of him over the years uh, here in Vegas, obviously fighting for Bob Arum in top rank, and then he went to become a free agent. Bob Arum tried to make this fight years ago. Crawford wanted the fight. It ultimately led to Crawford leading Aram because Aaron, Aram could not get Al Heyman to sign on with this, Sam. This fight should have taken place four years ago. Terrence Crawford knew he could beat Earl Spence. Earl Spence thought he could beat Terrence Crawford. But in my opinion, this fight never happened because Al Heyman knew that his guy, Earl Spence, could not beat Terrence Crawford. He was trying to keep him under that PBC umbrella with all those welterweights, with Sean Porter and Keith Thurman, and and you know Manny Pacquiao eventually left it to go sign, you know, sign under PBC, and so they could fight all of his own guys. And Bob Arum made the quote a while back saying, "Hey, what he Heyman's doing is a scam. He's not you know wanting to fight the best guy, uh, the best fighters for his guys. He wants to control his own umbrella, and that's exactly what transpired. And I believe." Sam, that that is why it took so long for this fight to be made. And then, uh, I don't know if it, you know, the same result would have taken place four years ago, three years ago, you know, last year or whatever it is. But I firmly believe that is the reason why it took this fight so long because Heyman did not believe his guy could beat Terrence Crawford. Well, I'll tell you what, TC, if the fight would have taken place, I mean, we, we know Errol Spence Jr. has been through a lot outside of the boxing ring. Uh, in the last few years, and I'll tell you what, like you said, we don't know what the result would have been had this fight happened four years ago. What we do, it, w- it would have been, it w- I-, I believe, I think Crawford would have won at any point yes. in time. We'll never know. It's all yeah. kind of a supposition at this point, but based on the display that we saw Saturday, uh, there's no reason to think at any point Errol Spence would have beaten Terrence Crawford. That being said, 
I think it would, he would certainly would have had a better shot before he went through a you know devastating car accident, before uh, the eye injury he sustained, before the, the, his his super fight with Manny Pacquiao was supposed to happen here uh, in August of 2021, and then another another um, car accident last December uh, or, or January, whatever it was around last you know last winter, not as major as the one he had endured after beating Sean Porter in 2019, but still car accident you know car person human being in car accident car accident is never a a good thing for a fighter and, and on top of that you know all because of all three of those things you have you know the inactivity as well so Terrence Crawford again like you mentioned TC the the skill set was on total display the, the he didn't even have to he fought the entire fight in a southpaw stance which uh, clearly the the perfect game plan because Errol Spence Jr used to fighting you know pretty much mostly orthodox um, fighters for the most part and and he didn't have to pivot he didn't have to adjust he's boxing's best adjuster right the best adjuster because of his uh versatile style being able to fight from both stances being able to box being able to bang inside uh countering everything right he can do everything we've seen that for years and uh, he didn't need to he, he didn't need to do everything he picked up on errol spence jr's rhythm uh his ability to time shots from different angles from from w- without without having to load up just the short shots that he's able to connect with the way his jab w- was firing uh there are i mean it was he promised a career defining performance you sensed in the promotion uh the focus that he had he he wasn't there to 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 for any of the games or anything he wasn't there for any of the jokes he, he was a man on a mission wanting to send a message right that this fight should have happened four years ago and, and i think in his post-fight interview and even in the press conference as well you kind of heard you know some vague references to how long it took this fight to get done and, and kind of the the, the way um, that that Crawford, you know, felt like he was perceived the last few years as somebody who didn't want this fight, as somebody who was ducking this fight. No, he always wanted this fight. Like you said, he always knew he could win this fight. And when the opportunity came to send a message, not just to, to, to Errol Spence Jr., but to boxing at, as a whole at large, uh, he rose to the occasion. And again, TC put forth one of the most dominant one-way traffic performances in the history of championship boxing at this at this level. I can't think of the last time a, a top five you know, level pound for pound fighter in Errol Spence Jr. with the resume that he's had. Uh, you know, think back kind of historically. When's the last time an elite pound for pound fighter was 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 beaten like that? I mean, it's it's been a long, long time. It's a kind of a once in a generation performance from a once in a generation fighter, and uh, he showed up on the biggest stage in sports and, and showed everybody who he's been, not just now, but who he's been for several years uh, and he certainly rose to the occasion and prepared to put on a performance like he did Saturday. I uh, totally agree. Some strong words uh, from Sam Gordon, uh, you know, but historical in the fashion where, you know, Crawford won this fight, dominated this fight, can make the argument that he did not lose a round. And, you know, two, two of the three judges scored the first round for Spence, but another judge gave for Crawford. And then from that second round on with the knockdown, uh, Subsequently, saw you know two more knockdowns and then the stoppage in the ninth. But uh, agree with everything you're saying uh, with that, uh, Sam. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal covers uh, everything, uh, all sports here. But a uh, fantastic job uh, with the boxing side, as we always talk about here, and, and go to his coverage there at the Las Vegas Review Journal dot com and and read what he wrote, which uh, you know appeared in uh, this morning's paper and, and yesterday's as well too. Uh, let's keep it here in Vegas and talk about. You know, championship 
weekend here, what we saw with yeah. Crawford, and then you spin over to what we saw yesterday at the Michelob Ultra Arena and what we're seeing here with the Aces now at 23-2, and two, winners of seven in a row. And I don't know, uh, you know, even though Dallas came back and made a little bit of a game, still the Aces put the pedal to the metal, firm control like they are in just about every game here, Sam. And uh, it just seems like the, this team is continuing to get better and better, and there is no stopping this team. Yeah, I mean, we, we just saw one of the greatest, I mean, fighters of all time, TC, and, and then you go to right over to Michelob Ultra Arena down the street, and you see what I believe we're in the midst of seeing it. Look, there's still boxes that need to be checked. The Aces have to finish the job. We both know that. They know that. Everybody knows that. But what we've seen in the regular season so far, this is the greatest team in WNBA history. This is the greatest team, Doesn't with, with or without Candace Parker, depth, whatever, what have you, doesn't matter. Uh, the, the core four, as as they call it now, Kelsey Plum, uh, Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, and obviously Asia Wilson with with excellent excellent specialist um, players that know their role in Kia Stokes and uh, Alicia Clark, veterans of the highest order, and then with Becky Hammond on the sideline. I mean, that six in and of itself, Candace Parker, for all her greatness, is is a luxury. And, and so that the Aces can afford to take their time. Um, with, with her injury and whatnot, knowing that there's much bigger games ahead. But uh, when, when they're absolute, when they're at their absolute best, TC like they were in the first half. I mean, again, you talk about an absolute masterclass. The ball pings all over the floor. Uh, everybody out on the court, or four of the five players, pretty much at all times for the Aces can shoot, dribble, and pass. Uh, the, the the ball movement, the player movement, the chemistry, the championship DNA, the uh, kind of just when they decide to, to clamp down. I, I know it's not this simple and. You know, probably gives Becky Hammond fits to a certain degree, but when they choose to be the best defensive team in the league, like they did the last, I don't know, six minutes yesterday, they absolutely are um, with the defensive player of the year, who I believe that should be the two-time defensive player of the year, three-time MVP, Asia Wilson uh, in the middle, kind of leading the way, excellent perimeter defenders, scheming Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, uh, Jackie Young, all in the peak of their respective powers. So uh, they Again, wasn't a great performance by them by any means, but they played a great first half, a terrible third quarter, and when they had to go, when they had to step on it, uh, when that lead got cut down to three uh, halfway through the fourth quarter, they did, and they've been doing what they've done to pretty much every team all year, which is showcase historically great firepower, uh, defend when they absolutely have to, uh, and play a beautiful brand of basketball that now brings a sellout crowd to Michelob Ultra Arena pretty much every time they're in town, so... Uh, it was an excellent, once again, an excellent display. Twenty-three and two. You take a look at the advanced metrics, the statistics. They should sweep the awards. All WNBA first team MVP, defensive uh, player of the year, all WNBA second team coach of the year, so on and so forth. Uh, this team deserves to be rewarded like that for what they're accomplishing, and I would be stunned if it didn't end in another championship, regardless of what teams around the league are doing. All right, so we talk about the fight, uh, just spectacular performance by Crawford. We talk about the Aces, spectacular performance, not only yesterday with the 104-91 victory, but what they've done all season, what they hope to to finish the deal and go back-to-back. And then we know that you're on the... You know, covering the Raiders as well, too. Not necessarily in the same vein of the other, the first two that we've <laughs> talked about here, Sam. But hey, everybody's undefeated right now, right? In preseason. All right. We haven't had a preseason game yet. You got training camp. I want some thoughts from you, uh, specifically on Jimmy Garoppolo. And because Garoppolo didn't come to practice, uh, it was yesterday. And so the bulk of the snaps from the quarterback position, you know, were taken by Brian Hoyer 
And, uh, you know, Aiden uh, O'Connell, the rookie out of Purdue here, and what a a drop-off just in the pace and everything else there. And, uh, again, we don't know if Garoppolo is going to be healthy. Heck, even if he is healthy, we're not sure how good a quarterback that he can be. And there are many around that are saying, hey, there's going to be maybe a drop-off from Derek Carr to Garoppolo, you know. And, um, you know, we're hearing that now. But, you know, what Garoppolo has done with his time with New England and specifically San Francisco, okay, you know, this is this maybe could be an upgrade at the quarterback position. I'm curious what you think is going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo with the quarterback of the Raiders. Yeah, in terms of just training camp, I think there's, you know, you're, you're going to want to kind of ease him through things as the foot, you know, just to, there's no there's no reason to go full speed. Um, right off the bat, especially given his familiarity with Josh McDaniels. It's imperative that he stays healthy the entire season. We know that's based on his history, you know, statistically games played and whatnot, that it's probably, you know, that's unlikely that that's going to happen, but it's happened before and there is a bigger picture in play. And, and that's, that's, you know, he's of the utmost importance with that. I think what Jimmy Garoppolo does, when you take a look back historically, just the kind of things you read um, from a, you know, about who he is off the field and whatnot, there's a, you're wanting to build a culture. The Raiders are in the process of, of, of turning over the team. You can clearly see based on the kind of the draft and the offseason that they had that regardless of, of how last season went or whatnot, that Mark Davis is being pretty patient uh, with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler as they retool the roster. It's, it's, you still you want to get premium draft capital. You want to you want to you know maximize your chances to get your future for your franchise quarterback down the road. And there's a couple you know great franchise quarterbacks potentially in this next draft class and whatnot. But at the same time, you're also ingratiating yourself to a, a still a new market where you know the ticket sales oftentimes favor the other team and, and the, the attendance often favors opposing teams. There hasn't been any winning, and, and you want to rebuild tactically. So I think that's where Jimmy Garoppolo comes into play. His leadership. Uh, the way he's able to galvanize the locker room and, 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 and everything you read about him is he's able to really connect with guys as a teammate and whatnot. And regardless of how the season goes, I don't expect the Raiders to be very good by any means because of just where they're at defensively. Uh, but, but regardless of how the season goes, from an intangible perspective, I think he's the kind of guy that's been in all different situations throughout the course of his career. Showed tremendous professionalism, backup, you know, starter, backup, going to trade him, cut him, bring him back, starter, injured the whole thing with San Francisco. Uh, that's the kind of guy you, I think you kind of want in the locker room helping alongside some of the other leaders, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby and whatnot, shepherd things th- this season. In terms of what to expect from him as a player, we know he's not great at the deep ball. Um, I wasn't out there today, but there was, of course, tweets from my colleagues uh, in the media that said he struggled today at training camp uh, and some third down packages and whatnot, and it wasn't necessarily great from him, but he kind of historically and throughout the course of training camp so far is accurate in the short and intermediate distances. And the Raiders have playmakers in those distances. So, you know, you know, depending on what happens with Josh Jacobs, expect him to be back with Devontae Adams, with Hunter Renfro, with Jacoby Miters now sliding over in a different role, not being the number one guy, getting to play more of a complementary role. Uh, they, and with an offensive line that's intact and has some chemistry, which was obviously a rarity with this franchise, the offense, I think, should be pretty good and, and be able to keep the Raiders afloat in games where they're not totally overmatched you know, by an opposing offense. Uh, that being said, it's all contingent upon his health, and if he gets hurt, this entire thing can go sideways. So, uh, I don't have you know ridiculously high expectations for how they're going to fare this year, but but in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo, um, from a talent perspective, probably a lateral move from Derek Carr. But it, it was just time for I think a change in leadership within the Raiders locker room, and he's a guy I think that can be a bridge or a steward uh, from from that era into the next one, provided that 
Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are able to, to identify the right players and, and, and get this turnaround really going. Sam, appreciate the time as always, man. Great job. Continue to uh, watch Sam or read Sam at uh, at the RJ and a great follow on Twitter as well to it by Sam Gordon. Brother, appreciate you, man. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you tomorrow night uh, at the house for the Aces in the Dream. I appreciate you having me, TC. As always, uh, happy Monday and have a great rest of your day. Talk soon. Thank you, brother. There he is, Sam Gordon, one of the best. All right, Marco, um, we end with there talking about the Raiders. Season win total, we touched upon this on Friday, down to six and a half now. Uh, not good to hear reports that Garoppolo is struggling out at practice. And you don't know what's going on with Josh Jacobs. Sure, he should be back. But uh, what's your take on the Raiders, and specifically zero in from a betting perspective, with a win total at six and a half? Well, when it was higher, I was on the under. Now, you know, you're looking at it, it keeps going down. And that is because of Josh Jacobs, the uncertainty. Like you said, he should be there in camp, not going to lose a season. But if he misses the entire preseason, it's going to take a couple weeks for him to get, you know, get into game shape. I, I mean, I know he's, it's the timing. I don't want to, let's phrase it better, hitting the holes and so forth. You got to get that down. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm not sold that this is an upgrade. I know. We don't know. How healthy will he be? And again, the surrounding cast, much different than San Francisco. Absolutely. He needs a running game. All right. All right. Uh, Appreciate you being here again, my friend. No uh, problem. All right. We will uh, reconvene uh, next week. Or maybe one of us will. Who knows? (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) I want to thank Showtime Sean Porter for uh, coming by, joining us, uh, talking Crawford's domination over Earl Spence Jr. Saturday night. Uh, pound for pound King Terrence Crawford and uh, Sam Gordon for joining us uh, as well too. Alright, you miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check it all out at tcmartinshow.com We're back at it again tomorrow. Some terrible Tuesday takes. Preview Aces in the Dream. Talk a little more, more Major League Baseball tomorrow as well too because you know what tomorrow is? Trade deadline! So it'll be a bevy of moves coming your way. Trade deadline. Tomorrow... 3 p.m. That's the deadline. So a lot of juicy stuff with that. For Marco TC, saying so long, and Numchuck, back at it again tomorrow at 2.